0: Welcome to the podcast of The Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, we are continuing today in a series we started a couple weeks ago, which we've titled, Formed. And the basic idea is that in this time, we're not simply biding our time we're not just counting down the days until this crisis is over rather in this time we want to lean in to the sense of invitation we have from God to to really be uniquely formed in this season so that on the other side of this season we actually look more like Jesus and we're even more equipped for what he has in this season ahead and so each week in this series we're looking at a particular virtue or character trait that we believe that God wants to form in us in this time. And last week, we uh, talked about perseverance. Today, I want to talk about how we can become people of hope. So we're talking about hope today, but I want to start with an encouragement and kind of, uh, I don't know what you want to say, a caution. And the encouragement is this, that, that finding hope in a season like this, which is a season of crisis and challenge and pressure, that finding hope in a season like this is actually possible, that it is actually possible. And of course, if there's ever been a time when we needed hope, it is now. Uh, I mean, think pandemic, recession, isolation. Many have lost jobs, some have lost homes, people, uh, many feel alone. Many feel af- afraid. Now is a time more than ever when we need hope. And I want to tell you that that is possible. So, so that's the encouragement. But the caution is, is that if we don't put our hope in the right thing, that that can actually be a dangerous thing. That misplaced hope is actually even more problematic than not having hope at all. And so in our brief time together, what I'd like to do is to explore some significant questions around hope. What is hope and what are the obstacles that can prevent us from becoming people of hope? And where do we actually need to place our hope, especially in times like these, so that we can be rooted and and anchored through the storm that we're in? And and friends, my prayer for you and, and for myself and for our churches, for that we would be people who are really anchored in this time. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. So the question is, how do we experience that? How can we become people of hope? Well, we're going to look at a famous text from Romans chapter 5. And this is one of the all-time great teachings in the Bible on the topic uh, of hope. And it's important to know that the Bible, although on the one hand it is one book, on the other hand it is comprised of 66 separate books, and there are uh, various genres within the Bible. So, for example, some of the books of the Bible contain poetry, some historical narrative. Now, the book we're looking at today, the book of Romans, is actually a letter. And this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to Christians who were scattered throughout Rome. But what you have to know about Paul is that he was actually trained as an attorney and he had a brilliant philosophical mind. And so that really comes out in his writing, And so the book of Romans sort of reads kind of like, I don't know, a legal document or a sort of a dense theological treatise. And so what this is going to require of us for us to kind of really dig in and study today. So I'd like to walk through this passage with you. And I'd love for you to read along with me as we work through this passage together. Again, Romans chapter 5. And Paul starts here in verse 1 by saying... Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, therefore, since we've been justified through faith. Now, as I mentioned last week, anytime you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask, what's it there for? Because there's there's always a reason. And the reason here is because Paul just spent the previous four chapters building a case for justification through faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, to be justified is to be declared in the right with God, to be reconciled I mean, to it's, Him. It's, it's a glorious reality. And Paul is saying here that that is experienced through faith. In other words, justification or, or salvation, it, it isn't simply a function of growing up in a Christian home. It isn't simply a function of belonging to a church. Uh, it, it isn't just a matter of you know putting hashtag Jesus or hashtag blessed on your Instagram profile. Rather, it comes through uh, through faith, he says, through a personal faith that we either have or, or don't have in Jesus. And what faith is, is trust. So to have faith in Jesus is to put your confidence in him, to place your, your, your trust in him. And, and I once heard it said that to say I trust you is actually a greater compliment than to say, I love you, because uh, you may not always trust the person you love, but you can always love the person you trust. So Paul is saying that faith in the sense of trust is what opens the door for the saving grace of God to come into our lives. Now, to be clear, we can't justify ourselves, we can't save ourselves. But through faith, it's like we open the door for the mercies of God to come rushing into our lives. And so Paul is reminding the Roman church that right at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be justified through faith. Now, he he then goes on to unpack the implications of this for our lives as followers of Jesus. And so what can we expect to experience in our lives as a result of being justified through faith? Well, here's the first thing. In verse one, he says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's safe to assume that everyone wants peace in their lives. And how amazing would it be if in this season, which is a time where there is so much turmoil externally, which can lead to so much turmoil internally, if in this time we actually experienced peace within. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, Paul is saying that actually one of the greatest benefits of faith in Jesus is, is the peace that it brings. I remember when I was a freshman at Cal Poly and I remember putting my faith in Jesus, my my trust in Him and really surrendering my life to Him for the first time. And I remember the experience I had when I laid down that night to go to bed and I actually wept. And the reason is because I actually experienced peace in my heart in such a deep way for the first time in my life. Such a, a deep and profound Peace, and and, and what Paul is saying is that that is what flows from from having faith in Jesus Christ. We experience peace with God, and when you're at peace with Him, what that means is that when you're in the middle of a storm, when you're in the middle of turbulent times, that you can actually have peace within, whether you lose your job or not, whether the stock market goes up or down, whether you're sick or healthy, peace is actually possible because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice something here. It says that we have peace with God, present tense. In other words, this is something you don't have to wait until you die to experience, but rather this is something that is available here and now. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I got thinking about how so many tombstones say R-I-P, rest in peace. And, and, And I wonder if that's because so many of us are convinced that that's the only time we'll find it. But I got thinking, Here's what I would love to have on my tombstone. Lived in peace. Lived in peace. Paul is saying that is possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul goes on in verse 2, and, and he says, though, excuse me, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, this is a profound statement. Paul is saying that as a result of being justified by faith, not only do we have peace and not, but also in addition to that, we enjoy access. Now, what does that mean? Well, think for a moment of celebrities or powerful politicians or maybe, you know, billionaires like Bill Gates. What is it that people are always trying to get from them? Access, right? Now, why? Why? Well, because the idea is that if I can get access to this powerful person, that could really help my life, because then I would be connected to someone with power, someone with influence, someone who can really do some things. Well, well, Paul is saying that as a result of being justified through faith, we've been granted access, like VIP access, to the most amazing, the most powerful, the most loving person in the universe, God himself. And specifically, he says, we've gained access into this grace in which we now stand. Now, sometimes the word grace simply means unmerited favor, and it's at least that. But in this context, it actually means something much fuller, because here Paul is, is kind of envisioning grace. He's sort of picturing grace as a room in which Jesus has invited in and ushered in all those who have faith in him. And what makes this room so special is that this room is filled with the presence and power and love of God. And Paul says that those who have faith in Jesus get to stand in this room. Now, it would be a big deal if you were invited to stand in the Oval Office or in Queen Elizabeth's throne room. That would be pretty cool. But what's even exponentially more amazing is that we, through faith, are invited to stand in the very presence of God. Just, I mean, think about that for a moment. Now, I wanna point out that the word stand here is in the perfect tense. And so what that means is that this isn't just a place we visit from time to time, say, maybe when we've been, you know, especially uh, disciplined, maybe we've been really trying really hard, that we get to visit from time to time. No, actually, what this means is that we are invited to stand, that we are invited to live continually in this place. Because of what Jesus has done through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, taking our sin upon himself and giving us his righteousness, Paul says we can stand and keep standing in the sphere of God's grace. N.T. Wright uh, says we are invited to breathe it in as our native air. I just I love that line, that we are invited to breathe it in as our native air. Such a beautiful way of putting it. Now, just to tie this briefly to to our main topic of hope, I I suspect that one of the reasons why why some people struggle with hope is because they're so filled with shame, so much regret about the past, so much shame in the present. It's like they just can't believe that there is hope for them, that there's a good future for them. And and perhaps some of you can relate. But in Romans 8, verse 1, Paul says, "'Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And later in the same chapter, he says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not your worst mistakes, not your greatest brokenness or sin. Nothing can separate you from the love of God and from His purposes for your life. And what that means, therefore, is that there is hope. Oscar Wilde, the famous novelist, once said, he said, Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. I love that. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. Because of who Jesus is and what he did, if we put our trust in him, Paul tells us, we gain access to this grace. We don't fall in and out of grace depending on our performance No, Grace actually becomes the reality in which we stand. And I don't know about you, but I, I think that is amazing news. And I just want to maybe just make a, before moving on, just a brief thought on uh, this idea of grace and how it relates to the season that we're in. Uh, In this season, I have found that there are two things I've become way more aware of. And and the first is the frailty of life, but the second is the grace of God. For example, in this season, I often find myself thanking God for things that before I, I think I just took for granted, like Okay, I'll just say it. Toilet paper, right? <laughs> I mean, but also just, I mean, things like having healthy lungs, having healthy kids, having enough food to eat. And it's not necessarily that life is more frail today than it used to be, but life has always been frail and life has always been a grace. But I think I'm just so much more aware of that fact now. And so one of my prayers for myself and, and for all of, it, all of us is that we would stay in touch with how dependent we are on God's grace, which Paul says we receive access to through faith. So Paul continues and he says, and we boast in the hope, there's the word, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So in addition to peace, in addition to access, Paul says justification also brings us hope. And that is something we boast in. Now, in English, the word boast has a negative connotation. In Greek, it actually did not. And and so perhaps a better way to put it is to say we celebrate the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in it. Now, the point is not that we're saying, you know, neener, neener, neener to the rest of the world. No, the point is that we rejoice in this hope that God offers us. Now, why? Why? Why do we boast in this hope? Well, we boast in this hope because this is the kind of hope that you can actually hang on to in a season like this. This is the kind of hope that can actually anchor you through a storm. It can ground you. And what you have to know is that not all hope is created equal. Not all hopes are worth boasting in. And the difference between a good hope and a bad hope between a true hope and a false hope, the difference hinges on what that hope is in. You see, by its very nature, hope, it always has an object. In other words, there's always something that your hope is in. So to have hope is to have hope in someone or something, right? So whether that's God or our career, or the hope of, of of meeting that special someone, or getting into that certain college, or the hope is in you know maybe the virus uh, being uh, you know quickly extinguished, or the the economy recovering, whatever that is. Hope always has an object, and of course the things we put our hope in often they, they let us down. Hence the saying, "Don't get your hopes up," which is expressive of sort of just kind of a uh, kind of a cynical, jaded view of the world. But what i found is that even the most cynical among us can't help but look for hope. I once heard it said that human beings, we are hope-based creatures, and unlike mere animals, survival isn't enough for us, that we actually need to hope that things will get better. So the question we're confronted with is, what is our hope in? And I think one temptation in this time is to simply have hope in hope, to just rely on sort of a vague optimism that things will get better. But I, I want just, to just say to you that that is actually a dangerous uh, approach. I came across the story of a guy named James Stockdale. If you were an adult in the early 90s, you might remember his name. And he actually ran for vice president back in 1992. And he was a, a U.S. Navy vice admiral. And he was also a POW in Vietnam and, and for seven years. And he was the most senior Naval officer held captive in Vietnam, and there's something that's come to be known as the Stockdale Paradox. So Stockdale was once asked, who didn't make it out alive of the POW camps? And he said, oh, that's easy. The optimists. And the reporter was was shocked to hear this. And he said, I don't understand. I thought optimism got us through hard times. But Stockdale went on to describe how this actually played out in real life. And he said the optimists thought, oh, you know, we're going to get out. We're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. So they think, you know, oh, we're, we're going to be out by Easter. Easter would come. Easter would go. They think, oh, well, we'll be, we'll be out by Thanksgiving. Then all of a sudden it was Christmas again. And what he went on to say is that these people died of a broken heart. And so let me just apply this to our moment. Who is going to have an especially hard time in this season of pandemic? Well, it is the people who simply have hope in hope. It's the people who have hope in the wrong thing or people uh, who are simply trying to rely on positive thinking or who are are basing their, putting their hope simply in circumstantial change. But as as followers of Jesus, I I just wanna say that we have a different approach and that we have a different hope Because Paul is saying that that we can boast in in this hope, not because we have hope in hope, and, and not because we think that we can kind of manifest a preferred future simply by positive thinking. No, we boast in this hope because it is rooted in something that is sure and unchanging, namely God himself. Just let me share with you just the best definition of Christian hope that I've come across. It says this, Hope is the absolute expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. Hope is the absolute expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. So thus understood, Christian hope is not mere optimism. It's not wishful thinking, and it's actually honest about the grief that we face in in something like COVID-19, Uh, or unemployment, or a lost dream, or not being able to gather as a church for, for months. But it's confident that God is at work and that He will bring His purposes and His promises to fulfillment. And that is why we can boast in this hope. It's the kind of hope that can actually get you through what mere optimism or circumstantial hope can never. Because it's not based on us. It is based in Him. So for followers of Jesus, our hope is in God. And just to add a little more definition to this, Paul goes on and he says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And so, so what does that mean? Well, there's a lot wrapped up in this little phrase, but I want to draw just three things that this involves. But first, let me just say a word about what this does not involve. So for the Christian, our hope is not that you know nothing bad will ever happen. Our, our, our hope is not that you know things will just get better every year. In fact, Jesus made the opposite promise. He said that in this world you will have trouble and, and he made it clear that we should actually expect suffering and in his language that we should expect things like wars and rumors of wars and things like an economic downturn and a pandemic. And, and, and so trouble is actually the norm in a world where Satan is still on the loose and there's sin still in our bodies. So actually a trouble-free life is the exception to that norm. So you might wonder then, if our hope isn't that nothing bad will happen to us, what does our hope consist in? Well, again, it is centered on on God. But Paul, again, he uses this phrase, the glory of God. So, so what does that involve? Well, I, I think there are three things that he's alluding to with this phrase. And the first is the return of Jesus to make all things new. The Bible promises that one day that Jesus will return in glory. And when he does, uh, in the words of the uh, Jesus storybook Bible, which I sometimes read to my daughters, that he, one day he will make all the sad things come untrue. I just love that line. One day he will make all the sad things come untrue. But the second thing wrapped in Paul's reference here to the glory of God is Jesus' presence with us now in our troubles. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See Christ is with us in this time and actually Jesus last words before ascending to heaven he said and I will be with you always. So that's the second thing, but the third thing that Paul has in mind I think with this reference to the glory of God is our hope that God will use the troubles we go through whether whether major or minor, he will use them to form us into the image of the glory of God. So Paul introduces this hope, but then he goes on to build sort of a progression to explain how this hope is formed in us, even in difficult times. In verse 3, he said, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, to glory is to celebrate. And initially, this seems kind of crazy, right? But notice, he doesn't say we celebrate our sufferings. Uh, you know, he's not saying, hey, you know, hey, I got pneumonia. Yay, let's, you know, throw a party. No, that would be crazy. What he says is that we celebrate in our sufferings. And, and there's a big difference there. But still, you might wonder, why would we even celebrate in our sufferings? Well, as followers of Jesus, we can celebrate in our sufferings because God makes our sufferings matter. He makes our sufferings matter, that God actually redeems are suffering, that He is the God who brings beauty from ashes, that He is the God who brings life from death, that He is the God who brings light from darkness, and that He can actually take something that is good, excuse me, something good, and bring that out of something that is bad. And I can tell you that I'm seeing that in this time, in my own life personally, in our church, in our city, I'm seeing God redeem suffering. I came across a quote from uh, Erwin McManus recently, and he said this, it kind of struck me. He said, people who carry their scars and wounds well are not defined by them, but are refined by them. I love that. And really, that's the invitation, that through the suffering we experience that God would use that not to define us, but to refine us. So Paul, he goes on to say, because we know that suffering produces Perseverance. In other words, suffering creates the context in which perseverance is possible, where it can be built, where it can be formed. And and as much as we hate to admit it, as human beings, we grow through a sort of resistance training. So, in other words, what's true of of muscles is is true of our souls. Uh, That, you know, if you want to get big, if you want to grow, you have to pick up something heavy. That's simply how it works. And, and in seasons like these where there are challenges and, and difficulty and suffering, that God is uniquely at work to build in us perseverance. And he's building something in us in this moment that he will use later on. But it doesn't stop there. Paul continues this progression. He says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character. So not only is suffering a context in which perseverance is formed in us, we also see that character also is formed in this time. As we persevere amidst suffering, as we just kind of keep going, Paul tells us that through that process that character is formed. And here's, I'll share with you, Dallas Willard's definition of character. He says, character is the internal overall structure of the self, that is revealed by our long run patterns of behavior. So another way to put this is to say that your character is who you really are, not who you present yourself to be, but who you really are. And and what Dallas used to say is that what God gets out of your life is the kind of person you are, the kind of person you become. And really there's nothing more important than that, the person you are becoming. God cares so much about that. And so he even uses suffering and the perseverance that that calls for to form in us mature character. And the suffering we experience now, you have to know, is is in a sense, it's almost like the QR code for our promotion into the next level of of maturity and kingdom authority and destiny in our lives. And I would just just have to say personally that I, I wouldn't be half- The man I am today, or half the pastor I am today, were it not for suffering. Now God has used that to form in me character and perseverance. So Paul now he he sort of builds builds this crescendo. He has this progression, and now he kind of at the end of this he builds to a crescendo, and he says that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now I don't know about you, but I find this to be kind of a surprising progression. I would have thought that Paul would have said that hope leads to perseverance, because, you know, it kind of encourages you to, to keep going. And, of course, that's true, but that's not what he says. Instead, he says that suffering leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to character, and character leads to hope. So, how does that work? Well, I'll just share with you my best thinking on this. Paul doesn't totally spell it out. He's just so brilliant. He just kind of moves along. Uh, but here's my best understanding of this. So. Uh, think about this, as we face suffering, and as we persevere, and as we keep putting one foot in front of the other, and as we're formed through that process, what we will inevitably experience is the faithfulness of God with us in that, that he is with us. I I, I think of, uh, you know, Joseph in the Old Testament. It says that even when he was in jail, it says that God, he found that God was with him through all his trials, and tribulation. So as we go through suffering, as we persevere, as we are formed, actually that is an occasion for us to experience the faithfulness of God and His presence with us. As we experience that, that gives us confidence, therefore, and hope that, wait a second, if God is faithful now, and He's with me now, therefore, He'll be faithful in the end, and He will see me through to the end. So I think that is the process of, of how actually suffering, again, leads to perseverance leads to character, and then that actually eventually leads to this robust hope that is centered on God. And and maybe, just maybe, God is using this season in all of our lives, allowing the suffering to build perseverance, leading to character that we might be people of hope all the more. Not just people who, who hope in hope, but people who hope in God, people who trust in Him. And I just love the way Paul concludes this section verse 5, he says, and hope does not put us to shame. Whereas the new American standard puts it, hope does not disappoint. Now, now you might wonder, how is it that hope would would put us to shame? Or how could it be that hope would disappoint? Well, I mean, think think about as we've talked about that, that hope can actually be sort of a dangerous thing if you put your hope in the wrong thing, if you put your hope in the wrong place. And we've, of course, all Uh, been let down by someone or something that we put our hope in that, that didn't come through. So hope can disappoint. But Paul is saying that this hope will not. And as followers of Jesus, if we persevere through suffering, he is telling us that our hope will grow and that this hope will not put us to shame. It will not let us down. Why? Because of who our hope is in. God himself. And as we sometimes sing, and all his promises are yes and amen, he is faithful. We can trust him that, his, that the hope he offers will be fulfilled. And so, as we close, I just want to offer just a couple brief thoughts. And the first is an exhortation, and, and the second is just a word of vision for us. And, and, and so, the exhortation is simply this This is Hebrews 6 18, and it says, Take hold of the hope set before you. Take hold of the hope set before you. And in this season, I just want to say the worst thing you could do is to simply drift, to let yourself be sort of battered about by the headlines or the shifting circumstances of your life. So the invitation, the exhortation here is to take hold of this hope that is before us, to not let it pass you by. This language of taking hold, it makes me think of, uh, I don't know if you've ever been on one of those bullet trains at one of the larger airports. And if you're not careful, if you're standing on the train, uh, it will just sort of suddenly take off. And if you're not holding on to something steady, you can actually fall over. And I actually uh, (laughs) almost totally lost my balance one time. And so really that just reminds me again uh, of how this season that we're in is a time when life is moving very quickly. There's such a shifting environment. So what we need is to take hold of the hope that God offers us, which is centered on Him. So that's a word of, of exhortation. But finally, just a, a word of vision as we close this morning. And, and, and really just the thought is that we want to become people of hope, not just so that we can be uh, experience a kind of a secure rootedness in our own lives personally, but rather we want to become people of hope so that we can therefore be people who bring hope to the world. And, and we live in a world that is in such desperate need for hope, and we have something so amazing to offer, this hope that we've found in Jesus Christ. And just so, so my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, my prayer for our church is that we would really take hold of this hope in this time, that we would not simply be people who hope and hope, but that we would be people who hope in God so that, not just so we are anchored in this time, but also so that we could be people who bring hope to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, uh, to our schools, and to our cities. That is my prayer. Amen. Friends, let's, let's pray together. So Father, we just thank you for the hope that we have in you. And and I pray that in this season, you would be forming us even more into people who hope in you. But Lord, I wanna pray right now for those who are struggling with hope, those who are maybe experiencing despair or, or depression. And I pray, Father, that you would now move in people's hearts, move in people's homes. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you touch lives? Lord, would you lift up the light of your countenance upon them? Would you shine your light on them? Would you just lift any darkness, God? Would you remove the despair? Would you bring healing, God? But would you also bring hope? God, I just pray that you'd fill us with your hope, that we might be people who not only receive it, but also who carry it to the world around us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.